Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. Sales is certainly changing in the world, and so do sales teams and their sales leaders. We're going to introduce you to a very unique concept called the reverse sales coaching model. See, typically, we tend to drive sales coaching based on results, what we see that goes in the funnel, what we see that comes out of the funnel, what's causing changes within the funnel, etc. And we tend to be very linear. We tend to do it as it relates to our sales process or approach or to do it, quite frankly, within congruence. The reverse sales coaching model gets you to look at your sales approach and your sales teams differently. If you have a piece of paper, take a piece of paper and draw three columns. And there's going to be columns one, two, and three. Now, don't number those columns because you're going to go to the third column to the far right and you're going to label that number one, step one. This is where you define your expectations. When you define your expectations, you're going to do it in the form of something called a functional requirement. Let me give you a description. A functional description is not a description or a bullet item that you typically find in a job description like cold calling. A functional requirement is where you give it frequency, expectations, uh, you insert performance requirements such as to make 50 cold calls with absolute professionalism and enthusiasm each and every single day without exception, looking for the unique set of needs of every prospect contacted at a minimum of 10% contact rate. Now, that may not be what you're looking for, but you can see or hear there's some things to coach to versus just a bullet item that says cold calling. On the far right, you're going to list your functional requirements. Now think about all your functional requirements. Think about prospecting. Think about in prospecting things like email, the gatekeeper, texting, using video, whatever it might be. Think about all those new things that we have to do now to be successful at prospecting. Then let's go to needs-based selling. Let's say we're conducting a WebEx or a Zoom meeting and we're talking to a customer. There are different skill sets. You have to describe those expectations. You have to define your expectations. And when you do it in the form that I just depicted as a functional requirement for cold calling, and yes, it can take you some time, yet you're going to have clear expectations. Now, once you get that done, and that can be as simple as three to five functional requirements just to start, and you can always grow the plan or grow your model as you go forward. So let's say we have that done and column one is completed. And column one can be actually a couple pages. Then you're going to go back to column one. So again, you just completed the first step. I should say not column one, but column three. And you're going to then come to column one, which is actually step 
two. You're going to look over at column three, which is step one, and you're going to look at things like prospecting, your definition of cold calling, how to win over a gatekeeper, how to use video or whatever the case might be. And you're going to look at those things and you're going to come back to column one, step two, and you're going to list out the tiers of learning per functional requirement. I promise you, this is the hugest difference maker you can have with your sales teams. Here's why. Go up to people today on your sales team and ask them, what do you specifically say and do when you get a competitor price objection? Walk me through the exact steps when you're making a cold call. Come on, let's be honest. We're all salespeople. If we were sales leaders or sales coaches at one point, we are the greatest society for shooting from the hip. Meaning sometimes we shoot from the hip and we don't really know what works or doesn't work. And sometimes our own people will redefine what our expectations are because we haven't really clearly laid them out. So when you go to step two in column one, you look at each item and you depict knowledge. What do they need to know? Skill. How does that performance look when successful? Behavioral. What does confidence look like? And you literally depict the knowledge, skill, and behavioral requirements per functional requirement found in step one or column three. And you list those out. I have to share this with you as an intermittent point walking you through this master lesson. I was on the phone with a vice president of sales and I'll never forget it. He kept saying, we have to negotiate. And I said, great, walk me through. What's your definition of negotiation? What do you want your people to specifically do? He literally answered four times in a row, I don't want them to lower price as much as they are. Now, this is not my place to bestow my belief system on this guy. Yet, lowering price or not lowering price as much is not negotiation. It's objection handling. Negotiation is when we ask for things in return. So for example, when someone asks me, Tim, could you lower your pricing? I say, well, how much were you thinking? They give me a number and I say, well, what if we did this? And what if I made, met you halfway and you gave me five referrals into vice presidents or CEOs at your level? at other companies. That's a negotiation. Doesn't mean it should be your negotiation, yet that's a negotiation. Not lowering price is just not lowering price. Why do I share that with you? They don't have it clearly defined. So their expectations are now a moving target. So again, let's do a quick review. Column three is step one. You're going to list out functional requirements. You're going to come to step two, which is column one. For each functional requirement, you're going to depict the tiers of learning. Knowledge, what do they need to know? Skill, how do they need to be able to perform? Behavioral, what does confidence look like? Once you have that, you go to column two, which is actually step three. And you ask the question, what actions do we need to take to move towards successfully applying the things in column three or step one, which is our illustration of definition of functional requirements. Why do we do it that way? Here's why. When you go to column three, you're breaking up the normal passive attendance, meaning 
when you do this on a whiteboard, whether you do it virtually or in person, we tend to be very linear, very left to right, very logical, and we tend to fall into these patterns of behavior. This breaks it up. It gets people thinking differently. It gets you looking at your sales process and approach differently. It gets people thinking differently in terms of what they need to do. I want to share with you why this is so valuable. Once you do column three, step one, and you list out your functional requirements, you have a greater degree of expectation. Your people have a greater degree of understanding of what they need to do. Then when you go to column one, which is step two, and you literally list out the knowledge, skill, and behavioral components for each functional requirement, you now have your training and coaching plan to a certain extent in place. And then number three are the actions. Is it training? Is it coaching? Is it online learning? Is it peer-to-peer? How do we facilitate what we need in column three? The functional requirements. I'll give you a great example. We had a client who went through this process and we did this years ago, over 10 years ago, this process. And the organization was the Milwaukee Brewers, one of my favorite all-time clients. And we kept talking about gatekeepers. We kept getting gatekeepers. And I think it was about 71% of our objections in the first part of our sales process was getting past the gatekeeper. And all of the sales reps at the time would say, oh, we've got to get past them. You've got to get around them. You know, you've got to hit zero, go out to the main switchboard and ask for the person to be paged. And I'm not saying those are bad tactics. Yet we redefined it. I said, what if we embraced the gatekeeper? What if we had the gatekeeper become our best friend? What if we redefined the way we looked at the gatekeeper? And everybody at the moment looked puzzled. I said, what if we got their first name and sent them a card thanking them when they didn't push us through in the phone call? Again, everybody in the room looked at me like I was nuts. Started doing it. We lowered it below 40% within 30 days just by redefining what our expectations were. Now, we went back to column one, which was step two. Knowledge, what do we need to do? We need to learn how to ask for their name. We need to learn how to do a really good follow-up call. Yet there was that intermittent step with a handwritten thank you card, thanking them and then sending even a thank you note to their boss, representing how professional they were, even when they weren't pushed through on the phone call. Why? Because people call back. Who's going to be remembered? Once we did that, the sales team literally became more open-minded to everything we needed to do. The cool thing is that organization is number eight in attendance in Major League Baseball. Because every year they look at their process, they look at their approach, they look at things differently. They look at their functional requirements. Now that we're in this new virtual selling world, haven't our requirements looked differently? Of course they have. So step one, which is column three, itemize your functional requirements. Depict specifically what you want and expect. Number two, for each one, define the knowledge, skill, and behavioral requirements. What are those components that they need to do successfully? And step three, what are the actions you're going to take going forward to facilitate that learning, facilitate that practice, facilitate that training, 
and you will be ahead of the competition. Here's the cool thing. We had a client that literally their top objection was a competitor price objection. And we went around the room and we asked salespeople, write down on a note card, here's the objection. We're working with ABC Corp or we're talking to ABC Corp. They're 10% less than you guys. What would you say in that moment? Don't describe what you would do. What would you say in that moment? Don't start to say what you wouldn't do. What would you say in that moment? Notice what I'm doing. I'm trying to understand specifically what they do in that moment. See, here's the funny thing when we get objections. We ask a salesperson, when you get that objection, what do you say? What do you do? Well, I try to leverage the relationship. No, you don't. If I'm in front of a customer and they say, Tim, we can get your sales coaching or your programs 10% cheaper, I'm not going to look at somebody and say, Bob or Lisa, can't we talk about our relationship? It sounds funny. And really what it represents is, do they know knowledge? Do they know what to do? Do they know what to say? So this company we're working with was talking about a competitor price objection. And what we did is we taught them. Now, we're not a sales training firm, mind you. And this is something I used to do in my old days. I still do it to this day. When somebody gives you a price objection, you never answer with price. You literally say to the customer, you know what? Price is very important. Let's push that aside. What are the top three things going into your decision-making in terms of how you're going to buy this service or this product? What are your value drivers? And have we met those expectations? If the customer says, no, you haven't, I'm still a little confused. Well, then price has no value in the conversation. They're not even convinced of your value. You need to go back and revisit that conversation. Now, if they say, yeah, you, you really have, we're really impressed with your firm. That's when you look at a customer and say, you know what? That's exactly why we don't lower price. So what do you think we should do next? And then the customer who's put you on your heels is now in a position, they've got to create the next step. Nine times out of 10, the customer will say, well, geez, I don't know. I mean, are, are you flexible on price? And then I encourage people to go into a what if we stage. Well, what if we looked at lowering price and you shared with us maybe five people from an association or five leads from other companies to supplement the price concession? What are your thoughts? Notice I keep it open-ended. This company was blown away by it because what they would do in that moment when we went around the room, nine out of 10 reps would say, how much do you want it lowered? See, once you start talking price lowering, guess what you're going to do? You're lowering price. What you've also said to the customer is what? I was sticking, sticking it to you at the higher price. We can say that's not our intention, Yet that's what goes through the customer's mind. Now, I'm not saying that's how you should handle a competitor price objection. What I'm suggesting is that's the opportunity we have. There was no definition of handling that objection. Once we created the definition, then we gave them the knowledge components. Then the skill we had them practice it, sales went up, margins went up. So again, step one, define your functional requirements. Step two, depict the knowledge, skill, and behavioral requirements. Step three, what are the actions to facilitate the improvement in those areas specific to the expectations or the functional requirements? 
and to the knowledge, skill, and behavioral components. Here's the funny thing about the tiers of learning. Knowledge, can they teach it back? Skill, can they practice it? Here's the funny thing about confidence. Confidence comes from two things and is the most oxymoronic thing you'll ever hear. It comes from two things, practice and positive reinforcement. What do salespeople hate to do? They hate to role play. So make sure that the practice is fun. Stay away from constructive feedback for four to six sessions. Get people feeling good about getting better and your numbers will go up. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called coach to You, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign 7 to 21-day programs for employees to learn and, more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.